I think a big mistake of like research specifically in the area of like computational creativity is this idea you can automate it entirely. So you see like one click off solutions to do X, Y, or C. And I think that's missed the bigger picture of like how most of creative work should actually work. Uh, or that probably means that you've never actually worked with an agency where the client was asking you to like change things every single hour, make it bigger, make it smaller, right? You're listening to Gradient Descent, a show about machine learning in the real world. And I'm your host, Lucas Bewald. Chris Valenzuela is an artist and technologist and entrepreneur and CEO and founder of a company called Runway, which is a maker of ML-powered video editing software. But I feel like that description doesn't even do justice to how incredible and innovative his product is. This interview actually starts off with a live demo of his product, and I really recommend switching to video if you're listening to this on audio only because his demo is absolutely incredible. Well, all right, Chris, you know, we don't normally um, do this, but I thought it would be fun to start with a product demo if you're down for it. You have such a cool, compelling product. Would you be up for that? Uh, sure. Uh, what do you want me to demo? There's a lot I can demo. I want to make sure I have, I can focus on what do you want to see? Well, you know, this is an ML um, podcast, so, you know, I think people would probably be interested in, like, the most, like, you know, flashy ML features. How about, how about that? Okay. So, in short, Runway is a full um, video creation suite. Um, it allows you to do things that you might be able to do in more traditional video editing software. The main difference is that everything that runs behind the scenes, so most of the core components of Runway are ML driven. Um, and the reason for that, um, it has two main kind of like uh, modes or, or uniqueness about uh, making everything ML based. One is it helps editors and content creators and uh, video makers automate and simplify really time consuming and expensive processes when making video or content. A lot of stuff that um, you're doing in traditional software that are very repetitive in nature, that are very time consuming and expensive. So Runway aims basically to simplify and um, reduce the time of doing this stuff, right? It's if you have a video you want to edit, an idea you want to execute, spending the time and the minutes and the hours and sometimes days on like this very boring stuff is not the thing that you really want to do. Um, and so we, we build algorithms and, and, and systems that help you just do that in a very uh, uh, easy way. And then there's another aspect of Runway that it's not only about automation, but it's about generation. And so... Uh, we build uh, models and algorithms and systems that allow our users and customers to create content on demand. Um, and everything, I guess, a baseline for us is that everything happens um, on the browser. And so it's web-based and cloud-native, which means that you don't rely anymore on native computers or uh, native applications or, uh, na or desktop compute. You have access to our GPU cluster on demand, and you can render videos on 4K, 6K, pretty much in real time. Plus, you can do all of this AI stuff uh, also in real time as well. And so a lot of the folks who are using Runway now, like uh, like CBS, like the Late Night Show with Colbert, or the folks who edit uh, Top Gear, um, or sometimes like creators who do stuff for Alicia Keys or for just TikTok or movies, they're all leveraging this AI kind of like things behind the scene via this web-based, cloud-based editor. Um, so I'd say, I guess, in a, in a short, like, I guess, five-minute intro, what, what the product does and how ML or AI plays a, plays a role in, in, the, pro in the product itself. 
Um, but I'm happy to kind of like now show you how everything kind of like goes together and like the experience of using it, if, if that makes sense. Please, yeah. Cool. Uh, any any questions or anything, I guess, before we do that, that you, you want to, I, I can double down or if you wanted me to help clarify. Um, well, I actually didn't realize that uh, that professional um, video teams like Colbert so uses Runway. Is that Do they use it for all of their um, like video processing or is there like a per certain part where they, they use it? How, how does that work? Um, it depends. Um, some editors and some folks are using it like as an end-to-end -to -end tool to create videos. Some other folks um, use um, a combination of different softwares to make something, right? And so the folks who use it for movies, um, sometimes add it in like Nuke or Flame. We have a big Flame community. And so Rhino becomes a part of that workflow. Um, it's replacing either uh, something you're doing on a very manual basis it's sometimes replacing a contractor you hired to make that work for you, or it's sometimes replacing your own work of trying to do it yourself in this like old software. Um, and then, but you still use other aspects of it or other software to combine it. Um, it really depends on the type of content that you have and the level of like outcomes that you that you need. Um, but we we do have folks that use it as an end-to-end -end, um, content creation editing tool. Cool. Well, I mean, the extent of my video editing is basically like modifying <laughs> videos of my daughter to like take out the boring parts and send them to my parents. So that's like as far as I go. Maybe you could sort of give me like a little bit of an overview of the cool stuff you can do with, with Runway. Totally. You can do all of that in Runway. Uh, <laughs> awesome. I need mean, a browser, which is <laughs> you might be, you might start using Runway for that. Um, and yeah, the, the, the one thing I would, uh, I, I guess, uh, emphasize is like everything is running on the, on the cloud, on the web. So um, you can just open any project with a URL. You can also create teams and you have all this like baseline collaboration aspect that just like runs out of the box. Um, cool. Uh, anything, anything else? No, just go demo. Yeah, stuff. let's see a demo. Totally. Yeah. So really cool stuff. Perfect. So, um, so this is, this is what Runway looks like. Um, it's, if you ever edited video before, it's, it's a very kind of like, um, um, common interface. We have like tracks on the bottom. You have, a. uh, multi-editing um, system uh, with audio tracks and um, keyframe animations and text layers and image support. Uh, you can preview your assets on the, on the main window and have a bunch of effects and filters on the right. Um, again, everything running pretty much on the cloud in real time. Um, and the idea here is that uh, there are a lot of things that you can do um, that are very similar to stuff that you can do in other applications, plus there are things that you can do anywhere else, right? So. Let me give you an example of something that um, a lot of folks are using Runway for. I'm going to start with a fresh composition here. I'm going to click one of the demo assets that I have here. I'm going to click this. Um, so I have a surfer right on that shot. Let's say I want to apply some sort of effect or uh, transformation to the background of, of, of this shot, or I want to maybe replace uh, the person here and take it somewhere else. Um, the way we do that today would be a combination of like frame by frame um, editing, where you're basically segmenting and um, creating an outline of your subject and every single frame you move, you have to do it one more time. Um, and so for that, we build um, our video object segmentation model, which, which we actually publish a, a blog post and a paper around it um, that allows you to do real-time uh, uh, video segmentation. In, in film, this is actually called rotoscoping. Um, and you can just literally go here guide the model with some sort of input uh, reference. So I tell the model, like, this is what I want to rotoscope, and I can go as deep as I as I need. I can select the whole uh, surf layer here, add deeper, more control over it. Um, and then once the model has a good understanding of what you want to do, 
it would propagate that uh, single kind of like keyframe or a single layer to all the frames of video right in real time. And so you get a pretty wow. smooth, consistent uh, segmentation mask uh, that you can either export um, as a single layer or export as a PNG layer, or you can use back in your, um, go back to your editing kind of like uh, timeline and start modifying, right? So you said like, you want to cut it, you want to uh, compose it, you want to do some sort of like transformation. From here, you can you can do that directly from here. So let's say I have my base line or my base video here. I have my mask or on top of that. And now I can just like literally like move it around uh, like this, uh, uh, right? I can just, I have two layers, right? With a surfer. So something that looks very simple and in like traditional software uh, might take you like a couple of hours of work. Here you can do pretty much on, on real time. Um, and again, it's it's something that most editors know how to do, but just takes them a lot of time to actually do. And did you just run that in the in the browser? Yeah, that, that segmentation mask it, it figured it out in the browser and it's it's calculating all. It, it doesn't go to the server. No, it goes to the server. Yeah, there's a there's a, a an inference pipeline that we build that processes like real time videos um, and allows you to do these things. The compute part is everything running on the cloud. You just see like the previews and the, sometimes depending on your connection, you can see a downsample version of it. So it runs really smoothly and plays really, really nicely. Yeah. Um, also for every single video, there's a few um, layers that we run uh, that help either guide something like a segmentation mask. For instance, we get depth maps uh, and we estimate depth maps for every single uh, video layer. You can also export this uh, depth maps uh, as independent layers and use them uh, for specific workflows. So that's also something very useful uh, for folks to 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 leverage. Um, yeah, so you get you have this right, and you can export this. Uh, behind the scenes, we're using this to for a bunch of things. Cool. Um, so yeah, th those are like one of the it's a, one of the things that you can do. You can do you can go uh, very complex and stuff. Let's say instead of the surfer, I just want like the the um, um, let me refresh this. I just want the. Um, uh, the background, I don't want the, um, the surfer uh, there. I can like in paint or remove that surfer from the shot. So I'm just going to like paint over it. Uh, and again, I'm giving the, the, the model like one single keyframe layer. Um, and the model is able to propagate those uh, consistently for uh, the entirety of the video. And that's also something we've, I guess, as a product philosophy, we really want to uh, uh, think about, which is like you need to have some layer of control, right? of like input. Um, and the hard part of that should also should just be handled by the model itself. Um, but there's always some level of like human in the loop process where you're guiding the model, you're telling it like, hey, this is this is what I want to remove. I'll just go ahead and do the hard work actually doing that for the whole video sequence. Wow, that's really amazing. That's like magic right there. Yeah, that's the actually something really we've gone. <laughs> that's something we've been um we see a lot when people find out about when we start using it. Um, magic is a word we, we hear a lot. It's something that, again, if you're editing or working film or content before, you know how hard and time-consuming and just painful it is. And just seeing it work so instantaneously, like, really, really triggers that idea over, over like, in magic or um, in everyone's kind of, like, uh, minds, which is something very, that's great because we've really thought of the project as something very magical for to use. Um, so there's stuff like that then, um, there's there are a few things like green screen and in painting, which I'm showing you now, uh, plus motion tracking uh, that we consider you can consider like baseline models in a runway, and so those are just uh, you can use them as unique tools as I'm showing you right now. 
you can also combine them uh, to create all sort of like interesting uh, workflows and dynamics. And so there's um, um, the idea of like, I don't know, you want to transform or generate this this video and take this surfer into another location. You can actually generate the background and have the camera track the position of the object in real time and then apply uh, the background that you just generated in a consistent manner. So everything looks really smooth. And the way you do that is by combining kind of like all of these models uh, in real time behind the scenes. And so you might have seen like some of those those demos in, in, in Twitter, which we've been kind of like um, announcing and releasing. So this um, this is a demo of like running a few of those underlying models uh, combined, right? So there's a segmentation model that's <laughs> wow. rotoscoping that's rotoscoping the, the the tennis player in real time. There's a motion tracking model that's uh, tracking the camera movement, and then there's an image generation model behind the scenes that uh, is generating the the uh, the video, the image on real time, right? And those are all composed at the same time. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah, those are I, I would say are like underlying baseline models, and then you can combine them in all sort of like interesting and, and different ways. All right. Well, thanks for the that demo. Is so cool. We'll switch to the interview format. Although I, I now I really want to like modify this video in all kinds of crazy ways. <laughs> yeah, we um, should uh, we should replace the background some stuff, some stuff while we're talking. Totally. Get this microphone <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess uh, you know, one question I really wanted to ask you is I, I think your background's actually not in machine learning originally, right? And and you know, I always think it's really interesting how people enter the machine learning space. So I'd just love to hear your your story a little bit of how you ended up running this this super cool machine learning company. And it seems like you're very technically deep also in sort of how you 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 managed to kind of get that depth um mid career. Totally. So I guess long story short, um I'm originally from Chile and um, I studied like econ in Chile and I was working on like something completely unrelated. Uh, but it was like 2016 and 20, 2017, I think. And I just randomly fall into like a rabbit hole of like um, ML and AI generated like art. Um, it was like very early days of like Deep Dream and like CubNets and AlexNet where like people were trying to make sense of how to use this new stuff in the context of art making. There were some people like my Taika and uh, Mario Klingemann and like Jim Kogan who were just like posting these very mind-blowing demos that now feel like things that you can run on your iPhone in like real time. But around that time, it was like someone was, I remember like Carl McDonald, which is an artist who was like walking around with his laptop, just sh showing people like a live stream of a camera. And the, you have basically like a, um, I think it was like an ImageNet model running on real time and just describing what this it saw. And it just blew my mind. It's like, again, it's like 2016. Now it's like pretty like obvious, but around that time it was like pretty, I don't know, um, special. Um, and it just went into a rabbit hole of that for like too long. And and, and it was too much. Um, I was just like fascinated by it. So I uh, actually decided to like quit my job. Um, I decided to like leave everything I had. I got a, got a scholarship to study at NYU and just spend like two years just really going very deep into into this specifically in the context of i would say kind of like creativity like that my i guess my area of like interest was the idea of like computational creativity how do you how do you use technology how do you use like deep learning or ml uh for really creative kind of like um uh, tool making and, and art making um and that two-year-long research process and kind of like exploration um ended up with with runway uh that runway was my my thesis at school 
it was a very different version of what you see now. Uh, but the main idea was very much pretty much the same. It's like, hey, there's ML and AI are basically a new compute platform, and they offer new ways of either manipulating or creating content. And so there needs to be some sort of like new tool making suite that leverages all of this and allows people to tap into those kind of like systems in a very accessible and easy way. And so the first version of Runway was um, a layer of abstraction on top of like Docker, uh, where you could run different algorithms and different models in real time on this like Electron app. And so you can click and run models in real time and connect those models via either sockets or UDP or or web server to like Unity or um, Photoshop. And so we started building all these like plugins where you can do the stuff that you are able to see now on Twitter or like here, I build a Photoshop or a Figma plugin that does image generation. We're building all that stuff, running like Docker models uh, in your computer locally and you can like stream those. And it was like 20, 2018, 2019. Interesting. So it must have been a much more technical audience at the time then, right? If you have to run Docker on your on your local machine, that's not a something everyone can can do, right? Totally. Totally. I think that, that that also tells a lot about how much progress the field has made and, and how mainstream and how more accessible things have become. Like, again, trying to put this set of like new platforms and compute ideas for um, creators and video makers and filmmakers require you to know how to install CUDA and like manage CUDA and I don't know, it was just too much. Uh, but people were still wanting to do it. There were some aspects, some folks were like, hey, this is like really unique. I want to understand how to use this. Um, but then we realized it wasn't like enough. You need to go higher layer, layers of abstraction on top of that to really enable like creative folks to play with this without having to spend like months trying to set up like their GPU machines, right? And so Runway has really evolved and um, we have a really like experiment-driven kind of like thesis and, and way of working on the product. But it's all about like trying ideas and testing them out with people really fast. We're building something that hasn't been done before. And so it's really easy to get sidetracked into things that you think are going to work or ideas that you think are going to be impactful. But since you're working with new stuff all the time, being close to your user base for us has been kind of really, really important. And so every time we've reiterated on the product, I think one consistent line of evolution has been this idea of like um, simplifying, uh, making higher abstraction layers on top of it. Like the first version of, of rotoscoping or ink painting required you to select the underlying like model architecture and they're applying and understanding what uh, what a mask was and propagation works. Like if you're really a filmmaker, like you don't care about any of those stuff. You just want to click once and you want to get a really good result. So for us, it's like, how do you, how do you build from there, from there, from there using what, what we're building behind the scenes? Were you surprised how well these um, these approaches have worked to generate images? Like, you know, it sounds like you started your work in like 2017, 2018. You know, the the space the the space that you're in has changed so much. Do do you feel like you saw it coming, or have things unfolded differently than you thought? Um, yeah, I mean, things are have definitely accelerated, but um, I think our, our thesis like when we started Runway three and a half years ago was pretty much the same. It was like, we're entering like literally like a new paradigm of computation and content, and we're not going to be able, we're soon going to be able to generate um, like every single piece of content and multimedia content that we see online. Um, I've been demoing like generating models for creative use cases for the last three years, and uh, what I was showing like three years ago, people were like, it was like, hey, th this is this is how it works. This is how you train a model. And this is what, what the outcome of the model is. 
And the, of course, at that time, like it was like blurry, I don't know, 500 by 100 pixels, like image. It's some sort of like a representation of what you're describing. Most people took it as a joke. It's like, oh yeah, cool. Very cool. And like, cool guy, cool thing. Or, or as a toy, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's a fun thing, right? You kind of like use it once and it's, but of course I will never use this in production. So I remember like speaking with this huge, uh, like one of the biggest like ad agencies in the world. It was like presenting to other executives, like here's the future of like content, type anything you want. And like something like Blu-ray came out and like, cool, no, not for now. And they reached out like three weeks ago being like, hey, how many licenses can we get for, for this <laughs> tomorrow? <laughs> right, because right. the models are getting just so much better that that uh, it's obvious, like the like it's it's transforming their industries and, 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 and a lot of other things. So I think what has changed for us is pretty much the speed. Like now we're entering a really nice moment where like things are converging and there's a good understanding of what's going to be possible and where things are going. Like scaling laws are getting to um, to a good point. Um, and so continue the same, but but the thesis of the company was always built on that this will happen and it's happening sooner than sooner rather than later. Do you have a perspective on if this acceleration will continue or if we just are seeing like a breakthrough and then we're going to need new breakthroughs to sort of get to the next level of quality? Sure. Um, I think there's definitely um, more compute that needs to be added to this, more data sets. I think we're still scratching the surface of like what will become. I think there's still like this, I was discussing this with a friend the other day, this idea of like there's like curiosity phase where people are like, entering okay the realm of like what's possible and coming up with all these solutions and ideas but there's still a difference between those concepts and explorations and ideas and like meaningful products that are long-term build upon those what i'm interested in seeing is like how much of those ideas will actually convert over time over meaningful products and i think that conversion of products is not just pure research or pure new models there needs to be like that layer of infrastructure to support those things so it's great that you can run one single model to one single thing on like X percent. But if you're trying to do that scale on a real-time basis for 10 people that then use it on a team and depend on it for their work, then there's like a slightly different different thing. Uh, but I think we're, we're about to see way more stuff around video specifically, I think. Um, I think image might be solved in a couple of more months and video is starting to now catch up with that. So really exciting time for that. What is something being solved mean to you? Like you could just get any image that you would ever want or imagine? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, that's a good question. I would say that for, I would consider being solved, um, being able to translate um, something like words or a description into like a meaningful um, image or content that pretty much matches what you're trying to, what you're imagining. And if it doesn't, you're able to control really quickly and easily to get to the point where you um, you can arrive at your final like idea, right? And so it, that's why the combination of models really makes sense. Like it's gonna be hard to have a full model that that's exactly what you want, for instance, for image generation. I think it's a combination of like, you have a model that does the first, the first milestone, which is like you generate something. There's no pixels, you generate the pixels. Second step is you're able to quickly modify it or in painting or grade it in some way and study it in some other way. But that whole thing just happens in like a few seconds or a few minutes, right? Um, and if you speak with anyone in the industry, BFX in the, or ad agencies or content creation, kind of like post-production uh, companies, these are stuff these guys do all the time. This is like what they do for a living, right? They're able to create content out of nothing. The thing is just, it's really expensive. 
it's really, really expensive and it involves a lot of time and rendering and like skilled people to get to that point. I think for me, Solve is like anyone, anyone can have access to that professional level grade BFX type of content from their computers and from a browser. So do you ever think about making, you know, more of like a version of Photoshop instead of like a video editing software? If you think like images are closer to being solved, I mean, certainly like I can't, you know, go into Photoshop and get exactly the image I want. And, you know, I love to play with, um, you know, all the image generation tools out there, but, um, you know, I do think like they're amazing at first, but then you kind of like hit this point where if like you really want the image to look like you want, it gets, it gets like kind of frustrating. Um, I don't know. It seems like there's also room for, for like kind of like an image version of what you're doing. Is that something you'd consider doing or why not make that? Totally. Yeah. The, the answer is absolutely. I think uh, a, f- a few things. One, um, I think we're converging more to this idea of like multimodal systems where you can transfer between images and videos and audio. I think the idea that we've been, we built software to deal with each media independently. So there's an audio editing software and a video editing software and image editing software and a text-based editing. Like you have models that can quickly translate between all of those. And content like let's say video it's a combination of different things you have images you have videos you have audio you have voice right um all of those things are now possible and i think it, for us when i think about the product philosophy of runaway it's less about how do you build a better photoshop or a better premiere fundamentally these models are just allowing you to do the things that none of those softwares can do so if you think about marginal integrations of those things yeah you build a better photoshop that a lot has a better like paintbrush or a better like a context-aware tool. But ultimately, when you combine them in new ways, you create a new thing. It's completely new. It's not Photoshop. It's just like a new way of making videos and editing images and editing audio all in one single kind of like component or, or tool. And, and so for me, what's really interesting is like the multimodal aspect of things and, and translating also into those. And, and 3D, for instance, it's one of the, the fields where you're going to be start to see a lot of like translation between images and videos on 3D. Totally. So I, I have to ask you um, your thoughts on like deep fakes and things like that. I'm sure everyone asks you that, but I'm really curious what do you think about that? Do you do you think that you would want to like put in limitations into your software to, you know, not allow certain things? Do you think this is about to change the way we view um, videos as this technology gets more standardized and available to everyone? For sure. Um, yeah, I think as every major technological breakthrough, there's always like social concerns about how it might be misused or used in not the right or intended ways. And it's it's a good exercise to look at like history to see what has happened before. This is really good like YouTube video about Photoshop when it was first released, I would think about like the early 90s. Um, and they were like, it's a, it's a kind of like a late night show and they're discussing like the ethical implications of manipulating images in, in magazines. And they're like, should should we allow to manipulate images and push them in magazines? And it, like half of the panel was like, no, we shouldn't. Just like it, it breaks the the essence of what photography is, right? And like twenty years after that, it's like it makes no sense to think about not you doing something like that, right? And so it's also there's always like a, an adaptation process, I would say, where people need to and we need to collectively ask like, hey, how is it going to be used? But I think ultimately you understand what the limitations are and you also fine-tune your eyes and your understanding of the world to make sense of that thing, right? And now everyone knows that Photoshop is a verb that you can use to describe something that's manipulated, right? Um, And you do that same exercise and you go back in time and you see the same 
when film just started to appear, there was this story, interesting story about one of the first films that were made. It's like a train arriving to a station. And they were like projecting that on a room. And when people saw the train coming to a station, everyone ran away because like they felt the train was coming to a station, literally. So, but then you get, you make, you make sense of it and you're like, yeah, this is not true. Like, I understand that this is like an actual representation of something. And so ultimately I think with, with AI and with generated content, we'll enter a similar phase where like, it's going to become commonplace and, and something people are familiar with. And of course they're going to be misuses and bad uses. Of course, people can use Photoshop for all sort of like evil ways, but like the 99% of like people are just like the lives have been changed forever in a positive way because of this. Interesting. Well, look, I'd love to hear more about your your tech stack. I mean, this is, you know, a show for for ML nerds of all types. <laughs> like, I mean, I think you're doing pretty hardcore ML at scale. Like, you know, what have been the the challenges of making this work? Like making the um, you know, the the interface as responsive um as it was. Like what were the sort of the key things to to scale up your your models? Sure. There's a lot of things. Um that we're, we've had to kind of like come up creatively to make this work in real time. On the one end, I guess on the ML side, we mostly use PyTorch for Orphal models. Um, we have a cluster, um, basically an AWS cluster that scales based on compute and demand, uh, where we run all those models. For training, we use sometimes lighting and of course weights and biases to uh, follow up and, and understand better what's working in our uh, on our model training. Um, and then serving, um, we optimize for different like uh, uh, GPU kind of like levels or, or com compute platforms depending on availability. And so we kind of like some make some systems to scale up depending on demand. On the front end side of things, uh, we it's everything's TypeScript and 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 React based. There are some uh, WebGL kind of like acceleration stuff we're doing um, to make things like really smooth. Um, and then the inference pipeline where we're writing everything like C++ to make it like super, super efficient and like, uh, fast specifically since you're decoding and coding videos in real time. We also build this, um, streaming system that passes frames or video frames, uh, through different models to do the things that I just showed you. And so we also have to come, come, come really greatly with that. Um, and that's kind of like a, a big picture of, I guess, our, our tech stack. I feel like one challenge that I'm seeing some of our customers run into as these models kind of get bigger and, and more important is that the the actual kind of serving cost of the application increases. Is that like an issue for you? Like, do you do things like, you know, quantization or, or like is, is lowering your inference costs like an important um, project for, for you all? For sure. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we're running our biggest like cost right now is like yeah AWS GPU cost and inference costs and serving these models. Um, there are two main areas like for sure like we have an HPC and we're doing like large scale training of language models and video models and so that that takes a lot of resources and time. But just serving on on um, on I would say like the trade off between precision and like speed really matters. So quantizing model is great, but also you need to make sure that you're not affecting the quality of the model because if you're affecting something on a pixel level, it might change the result from being like okay to like bad and like that might mean the user churning um, and so if you're going to like spend like a few more seconds rendering that might actually be better there's always like a trade-off like how much but yeah we 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 always try to figure out what's the um the right balance there uh we're also exploring some stuff on on the browser i think the browser is becoming like really powerful the only constraint about the browser is just memory and ram and like you get 
you get to like it's a sandbox so you can really do a lot of things specifically with video but you can run some stuff on the browser and so with WebAssembly specifically you convert some things and make them smooth enough but I think we're not 100% there yet but you're also training your own large language models and large image models I mean that sounds like it, it, training yeah. would be a major cost for you as well yeah for sure uh, like uh, retraining some stuff to make sure it works in the domain of what we have is kind of like our one of our core competences and so yeah now we're training a starting a huge job on our hpc um and so that's going to take a big percentage of our uh of our cost for the next few months yeah i guess i have to ask you know that language interface that you showed me was so um compelling and cool but i have been seeing you know, language interfaces for the past um, 20 years. And like the challenge with <laughs> these language interfaces yep. is like, you know, when they don't work, they're just like enraging. Like, and, and actually you sort of address that, like showing yep. how it, you know, creates these things and like um, you can undo them and you can kind of modify them. But I guess, do you feel like these, the that kind of conversational interface is at the point where for you, it's an interface that you really want to use? Yeah. I like to think of it as a, as a, again, as a tool, right? So it's not the sole answer to everything you need. Like this is not going to be a replacement for all of the workflows in, in making content, video images or sound or whatever it is. It's just a speed up in the way you can do those kind of things. And so the, the I think the, the sweet spot is a combination of both. But being able to have that constant feedback loop with the system where you're like stating something out, the... The system is like reacting in some way that matches your your idea, and then you have that level of control to either like go in the direction you want and do what you want, or if you want to go, if if it's not working, just do it yourself, right? Um, I think a big mistake of like research, specifically in the area of like computational creativity, is this idea you can automate it entirely. So you see like one click off solutions to do X, Y, or C, and I think that's missed the bigger picture of like how most of creative work should actually work. Uh, or that probably means that you've never actually worked with an agency where the client was asking you to like change things every single hour, or make it bigger, make it smaller, right? Right. Um, and so it, it's hard for me to imagine a world where like you have a one-click on solution for everything. That feels boring, to be honest. Um, you want to have that control. And so I think language interfaces are a huge step towards like accelerating the speed at which you can execute. Are they the final answer for everything? I'm not sure, but they do... Um, make you they they make you just move faster on on your ideas and did i understand you right that you want to build your own large language model like i would assume you would take one of the like many off the shelf language models today like what are you actually training your own yeah i think it's we are but in it's uh, it's also like uh the fact that like a male i guess the infra for models and models themselves are becoming commodities it's great for companies like us because some stuff we can need to build on our own. Like there's a lot of things in Runway that you won't find anywhere else. But some other stuff like large language models that you can just use off the shelf. You have all these like companies offering similar services. And it's a great, I guess, for us as a consumer of those, if we want to use those, uh, it's just a cost situation where like whoever offers like the best um, model we'll, we'll use. Um, and to a point where like it might make sense to either like do it our own um, so yeah, sometimes we don't have to do everything ourselves. You can just buy off the shelf, but some other types you just need to do it because it doesn't exist. And sorry, in large language models, you think you might do it yourself even? We're doing a combination of both. We're like using APIs, but also returning some of our own. I see. I see. 
And do you feel like the, have you experimented with all the large models out there? Like, do you, do you have like a favorite of, of the existing offerings? I think GPT-3 works. I think actually the, the model that, the, I think it's DaVinci. It's probably like GPT-4 by now. I think OpenAI has been updating that. Right, right. Uh, silently behind the scenes, it works really well. And so that, that's the one I, I'd say we've, uh, we experimented the most and we get the best results. Oh, cool. Well, look, we always end with two questions. I want to make sure I get them in. And, and so the second to last question is, um, what is like a topic that you don't get to work on that you wish you had more time to work on? Or what's something that's sort of underrated for you in machine learning right now? And I realize it's a funny question to ask an obsessed ML founder, <laughs> but I'll ask yeah. it anyway. <laughs> I think audio generation, uh, I think it's catching up now, but it's not, no one really has been paying a lot of attention. There's some really interesting open source models uh, from like Tacotron to a few other things out there. I think that's going to be really, really like um, transformative for a bunch of like applications. Um, and we're already kind of like um, stepping into some stuff there. But uh, I mean, it's hard to focus as an industry or as a research community like a lot of things at the same time. And now that I guess image understanding has kind of like been solved in a way, you know, people are moving to other specific fields. I think one of the ones that we're going to start seeing very soon is uh, audio generation. Um, so yeah, excited for that for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you have like a favorite model out there? Or I, I we just recently talked to, I think um, Dance Diffusion or or um, Harmon AI that was doing some cool audio generation stuff. Yeah, there's one. Uh, let me search for it. Um, that like just blew my mind. Um, Tortoise TTS. I don't know if you've seen that one. No. Yeah. So yeah, Tortoise TTS is I think the the work of just one single folk, James Betclair. Uh, Betker. Um, it works really well and he's been using it. Someone used it to create this uh, Lex Friedman version, uh, like generative podcast. And, uh -huh. and so, you, yeah, there's, I'll share with you the, <laughs> the audio, but it's it's a whole like podcast series that goes every week, but everything's generated. The script is generated by GPT-3 and the audio is generated by Tortoise. And you can hear it's like, it's just, yeah, it's a podcast. It's just like, you can't really tell. That's amazing. So yeah, I'm really excited for stuff like that. Cool. Um, and I guess the final question is for you, what's been the hardest part about getting the actual ML to work in the real world? So going from, you know, these ideas of models or research to like deployed and, and working for users. I think uh, like th these models and, and things like image generation or video generation require a different mental model of how you can leverage this in creative ways. And I think a big mistake has been to try to use existing principles of image or video generation and uh, like patch them with this stuff. I think ultimately you need to think about it in like very different ways. Like navigating a latent space is not the same as like editing an image, right? So what are the metaphors and the abstractions they need to have? And we've come up with those before, like in the software paradigm that we have right now, you have like a brush and a paint bucket and a context aware tool and you're like editing stuff. But when you have large language models that are able to translate ideas into content and you navigate and move across a specific space or vector direction in ways you want, they need new metaphors and new abstractions. So what's been really, I would get say, interesting and, and challenging is uh, how do you, what are those metaphors? What are those interfaces? How do you make sure the systems you're building are really expressive? I think two things that drive a lot of what we do are control and expressiveness. Control as in you as a creator want to have full control over your making. And that's really important. And how do you make that so you also are expressive about it? You can 
move in specific ways as you are intended to or you're intending to to do um so yeah i think that's that's also i guess also really it's really exciting and passionate for us to invent some of those stuff what's really impressive what you did thanks so much for the interview of course thank you so much for hosting if you're enjoying these interviews and you want to learn more please click on the link to the show notes in the description where you can find links to all the papers that are mentioned, supplemental material, and a transcription that we work really hard to produce. So check it out.